Thank you. That was wonderful. Robbie, thank you. I enjoyed uh, that very much. Thank you. Well, as we approach Easter, we're looking at some of the events that surrounded the death and the resurrection of Christ. Last week, our focus was on the prophecy of his death as we looked at Isaiah. And hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied his birth, his suffering, and his death. The truth is, Jesus was born to die. You recall when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane facing the cross, that he was struggling with the cross before him, and yet as he prayed, he said, for this cause came I to this hour. The reason that I came, he said, was for this hour, for the cross. He was born to die. When the hour came that he was to be sacrificed, he was prepared. Max Licato wrote, and the angels were silent. He knew the end was near. He knew the finality of Friday. He read the last chapter before it was written and heard the final chorus before it was sung. He was prepared to die. Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning in verse number 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. I was flipping through the television channels the other night and happened to come across Rick Warren. Rick was on and as he was talking, he made a couple of statements that resonated with me. The first being, there may be accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. Now the point that he was making was this. All of us have been created by God and we are created for purpose. But if our purpose is going to be fulfilled, then we have to prepare ourselves for the purpose. We must be prepared. There are a lot of reality shows on television that have huge audiences, supposedly depicting life and real life. I like Duck Dynasty. I'm not sure those beards are real, however, but I nevertheless like it. I'd been hearing people talk about honey boo-boo, and I thought, what is a honey boo-boo? So I decided that I was going to watch one. And I watched one of those programs. <laughs> what is that doing on television? And then I concluded, 
I don't care who you are, you can watch that and feel good about yourself. <laughs> well, real life is probably not that dramatic and requires some preparation. If you are going to accomplish your purpose in life, if you're going to have that degree of success that you desire in life, then you are going to have to make some preparation educationally. And I would say to you young people, do everything you can to get the best education you can. And once you complete your formal education, don't ever stop learning. I think it is tragic that when, oftentimes when some people get their degree, they think that it's over. You haven't learned everything. There is still more to learn. So continue to learn. You have to prepare. For some of you, your purpose is going to involve marriage and you need to prepare for marriage. I suppose that most who desire to be married have some dreams about what it's going to be or fantasies as to how it's going to be. I, I certainly did. Now, my fantasy was when I got married that, that uh, I would go off to work. Uh, you know, I mean, the knight in shining armor. And I would work and I would come home. And when I came home, Linda would be there. She would have a, a meal prepared. And uh, we would dine by candlelight. It would be a lovely experience. And some fantasies don't work out. <laughs> but you nevertheless need to prepare for marriage. If you're planning to marry, if that is a part of your purpose, then you need to prepare for marriage. And that's the reason that we offer the Forever and Ever seminar in our church and many of the classes we have within our young married department to help you develop and build a Christian marriage. If you're going to accomplish your purpose, if you're going to be successful to the degree that you desire, then you have to give some attention to health. Now, there are some people who are genetically predisposed to being healthier than other people. But when you're young, I suppose, we don't think so much about dying. We think we're going to be healthy. I was talking with my friend Charles Jackson over at the Brookland Baptist Church. He told me he was going to live to be 107. I said, 107. That really doesn't appeal to me that much. He said, well, why not? And I said, well, if I could get all those extra years in my 30s or 40s, I'd probably like to have them but I'm not sure that I want them in my 80s and 90s. But we have to prepare for health. That means that you give attention to your diet. That means you give attention to exercise and to those things. But now, folks, here's the thing. If we prepare for life, is it not foolish not to prepare for death? And yet I think most of us try to ignore it or we deny it. That's the reason many of you do not have a cemetery plot. Do you have a, don't answer, but do you have a cemetery plot? I don't. Because if I have one, somebody's going to put me in it. <laughs> and so, see, that's a form of denial. If I don't buy that, then I don't have to go in it. Or we don't prepare our wills, things of that nature. Even funerals are designed to deny the truth of death. For instance, when someone dies, what do we do? We paint their body. We comb their hair. And people walk by and say, doesn't he look natural? <laughs> no, he doesn't look natural. 
I mean, how many of you lie around in a wooden box? That is not natural. And then we surround them with flowers, which symbolize his life. But Jesus was prepared. When death came, he was prepared. Look at verse number 33. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priest and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and will deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus lived in the shadow of death. And as he is approaching death, he says that I will be delivered and will be mocked. And he was. When Jesus was arrested, they took him and they blindfolded him. Someone slapped him. Said, you claim to be a prophet. Prophesy, who was it who slapped you? You claim to be a king. Here's you a crown. And he was mocked. He said he would be scourged. They would beat him. And they did beat him beyond recognition. And they would kill him. They would take his life. But the point I want you to see is that Jesus was prepared. He was prepared for death. And we must be willing to face the fact of death in our own lives. Because the Bible says that it is a certainty. That regardless as to one's age... My friend, if Jesus delays his coming, then you will experience death. The scripture says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. I'm not sure what it is. I think it's brain cancer that Valerie Harper has. But she was being interviewed and asked the question about her being terminal. She made the statement, we all are terminal. We are. My friend, we are going to experience the phenomenon of death. Thus, we need to be prepared for it. The Apostle Paul faced death and was prepared for it. He wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul knew that he was going to experience death and he said, I am prepared. The time of my departure has come and he was prepared for it when it came. We are to prepare for death because we will face death. But as we prepare for death, we commit to the future. You might say, well, now, how do you commit to the future when the end is in sight? It reminds me of the story of an elderly man who had died and they had had the funeral, gone to the cemetery and they were coming back from the cemetery. His widow was with the funeral director and the funeral director turned to her and said, how old was he? And she said, 98, two years older than I. The funeral director said, oh, she said, hardly worth a trip home, is it? How can we commit to the future when the end is in sight? If you notice in verse number 34, Jesus said, And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. But he didn't stop there. And three days later, he will rise again. He will rise 
again. Now, how could he be so confident? He is on the way to the cross. He is about to die for the sins of mankind. And yet he has this confidence. How could he be so confident? Because he believed the truth of God's word. The scripture says in Psalm 1610, For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. That was the promise. And he believed the promise. Jesus could have confidence even as he faced the cross because he believed in the truthfulness of God's word. The Apostle Paul faced death with tremendous confidence. Why? Because he too believed the truth of God's word. Paul had written to Timothy, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and righteousness. Because he believed in the truth of God's word, he believed the promise of heaven would also be fulfilled. That it wasn't just a fantasy, that it was true. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, he wrote, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, we can commit to the future if we believe in the truth of God's word. That death is not the end It is the entrance into heaven. That death is not a defeat. It is the hope that has been promised to the people of God. As I look at this, Jesus was prepared. He was committed to the future. And even as we prepare for death, we continue to invest in those we love. Is that not right? Even as we face death, We continue to invest in the one we love. In verse number 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. They were amazed and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Here's Jesus knowing that he is facing the cross with his disciples. The Bible says that the disciples were amazed at what was happening. They were fearful at what was before them. They didn't understand why. The scripture says in Luke chapter 18 verse 34, they did not comprehend the things that were said. Jesus had told them about this. It had been prophesied. He knew it. And he told the disciples, but the Bible says that they did not understand why. Even Simon Peter, when Jesus spoke to him, said, Not so, Lord, this will never happen to you. He didn't understand it. I have to confess to you, I don't understand it when I lose a loved one either. Do you? Maybe you do. But when I do, sometimes it is a struggle for me. Because invariably there is going to be that, Why is this happening? Why this person? Why this loved one? But even though we don't understand it, there is still that investment that is made. The disciples didn't understand. Jesus had told them they were amazed and they were fearful. But Jesus invests in them. Even at that time, you look at the verses that follow our text this morning concerning James and John. 
And Jesus made an investment in them in verse number 42. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. You know what I like about that? Jesus is about to die. He takes time out to invest in his disciples. And he said to James and John, you're to be a servant. You are to be a servant. Jesus is teaching them, even in the shadow of the cross, he continues to teach his disciples. And he says, what is your role even after I am gone? What are you to do even after I am gone? He said, you are to be a servant. You're to be a servant. And then in verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And as Jesus continued to teach them, even as he was going to the cross, he said, following me requires sacrifice. There's a sacrifice that's involved. Folks, that's a lesson that many of us need to learn or perhaps relearn. Following Jesus is not being served, it is serving. Following Jesus is not getting by with as little as possible, it requires sacrifice. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Now, as we prepare for our purpose, we commit to the future and invest in others, we fulfill God's purpose for our lives. As I continued to listen to Rick Warren, the second thing he said that resonated with me are there are three things you can do with your life. Waste it. And my friend, the world will provide you with thousands of opportunities to waste your life. When you come to the end of it, how you spent it will determine how satisfied you are with it. You can waste it. You can spend it. Or you can invest it in others. It is the investment of life that brings the, perp- the fulfillment of one's purpose. And Jesus invested his life. You know the story of Jesus as well as I do. How he invested in the things of the Father. Invested in worship. You remember the story as to when he went to the temple and saw that it had become something that God didn't intend for it to be. He drove the money changers out. He turned it into a house of prayer. He invested in worship. He invested in people. He spent his time up to his dying breath investing in his disciples. And he fulfilled his purpose. At the cross he victoriously cried out, it is finished. He was not saying that he was finished, but his purpose was finished. It is finished. I have fulfilled my purpose. The Apostle Paul lived his life by investing in the things of God. And when he wrote to Timothy and said, the time of my departure is at hand, that passage of scripture continues. He said, I fought a good fight. 
sort of a parenthesis here. The Christian life is a fight. It's not easy. And ladies and gentlemen, we are in a fight today like none I have seen in my lifetime. In my lifetime, I have never seen Christianity under the attack that it is today in our own land. Louis Giglio was removed from the presidential inauguration because he had preached a sermon saying that homosexuality was a sin. So he's not qualified. Tim Tebow was harassed into not going to the First Baptist Church of Dallas because that is an extreme church. You know what the church at First Baptist Dallas believes? Do you know what makes them so extremist? They believe the Bible is the infallible word of God. They believe in life rather than death. They believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And so they are considered to be extremists. Folks, as far as I'm concerned, there is no difference in what they believe and what we believe. But they're extremists. Now, we can talk about Tim Tebow and what his response should have been and so forth. I really don't believe that this is the time for us to begin attacking fellow believers and especially someone who is a young man who has come under intense pressure like you and I have never experienced, we really need to be praying for him and praying for others who have a platform to share. What I'm saying to you is that we are in a fight today that is going to shape our nation tomorrow. And the Supreme Court this month is going to hear arguments concerning the legalization of same-sex marriage, and I think they will rule in June. What is their ruling going to be? See, all of this is so strange to me because we have been a nation that has respected the Word of God, but now as quickly as we can, we are removing ourselves from that, and those who still believe in the Word of God as being the truth, are marginalized as being extremist and dangerous people. Paul said, I fought a good fight. The people of God better fight a good fight. And he said, and I have kept the faith. Now, folks, there's no reason to fight a good fight if you're not keeping the faith. What are we fighting about? Paul said, I fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. And I have finished my course. I have fulfilled my purpose. Thus, I shall receive the crown. In 2 Timothy 4, 8, he said, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's a promise. Fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished the course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. God created you with a divine purpose. How do you fulfill it? 
How do you fulfill this purpose of God for your life? Well, first of all, see yourself as God sees you, not as Satan says you are. How does God see you? Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? There is now no condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Well, that's pretty good news. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. He is saying that you are saved, you are forgiven, you are a child of God, and you are not in condemnation if you know the Lord. That's good news. See, possibilities as God sees them because he can turn a cross into a crown and commit to God's plan for your life. Let me conclude. Jesus prepared for death. We also must be prepared because you and I will die. God has a purpose for you. Focus on the future. We live our lives for eternity, not for today. Invest in others. Life becomes meaningful as you give it away and fulfill the purpose that God has for you. Bob McAllister sent me an article about Chris Norman, linebacker at Michigan State. Now, when a lot of the players are preparing for the NFL or pursuing the NFL. Chris is not. He's going to seminary. When he was asked about it, he said, in the gospel, there's a story about somebody that stumbles across a field and then found a treasure hidden in that field. As a result of finding that treasure, he sold everything to buy that field. Once I met Jesus and fell absolutely in love with him, nothing else was a consideration. That is a commitment to a life of purpose. Nothing else was a consideration other than Jesus Christ. My friend, Jesus fulfilled his purpose by dying on the cross for our sin. He was able to come to the end of life and declare it is finished. And it is my prayer for you that you will live your life in such a way that when it comes to an end, you look back and say, that was good. That was good. Because I walked with the Lord. Our gracious Father in God, we come to a time of examination, invitation, And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will move upon our lives, that we will seriously consider where we are. Are we in the family or not? Do we know Jesus or not? Are we living for him or not? And, Lord, that today this would be the time that we say from this day forward, I am going to commit to the Lord Jesus. Be with those who are not saved, that they would trust Christ today. Be with those who are looking for church home. If you want them here, I pray that you would send them. In Jesus' name, amen.
just a moment. We're going to stand. The choir will sing. We extend an invitation. My friend, if you're here without Jesus, I pray today that you'll commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.